Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. G'day, Nina. Hi, Andrew. We're back. I know, we're I know. back. <laughs> and gosh, what a busy week in the employment IR space, right? Yeah, yeah. Look, if you read the news, you'd think it's a lot busier, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Like it's like the end of the world. Really. <laughs> I know there are Armageddon friends in the rest of the law industry who are our friendly snake oil salesmen are out there <laughs> saying about these massive changes, changes which I might say are not law yet, but nonetheless. <laughs> can I say I think there's a responsibility for all of us when we look at changes in the law is to actually remind the organisations we live in that scaring people doesn't help. When we talk about closing the loop legislation, we're going to go through this with you just for a few minutes and then we'll go through each one of these headings over the next six yeah, weeks. in more detail. In more detail and give you some practical examples so you can test it and embed yeah. it. I want to be clear. This is not a bit, if you read the newspapers, if you followed what Labor said as an agenda, this really is tidying up some loose ends. Yeah, exactly. Okay, when we look at things just as simple as making protected attribute and discrimination legislation around domestic violence. violence. Can I just say it was already part of general protections because it's yeah. a protected one. It's a good thing, but it's not. Massive. Does that no, make and, sense? And it's obvious. So a lot of these things are obvious changes that yeah. were always going to happen. But I think our role as leaders, both in the legal community, in HR and safety, is to try and not scare people and to try and build a change management process mm-hmm. that goes with it. And as we talk through this, you'll keep saying, well, what's all the fuss about? And the answer is the fuss is about people taking on this crazy capital versus unions argument of this is terrible, this is terrible, (laughs) when in fact it's all expected and all normal and this will not change the way you practice greatly. There will be some bits that do and when they do, we'll highlight them for you and show you practically what you do and we'll show you what the difference is as we go through. But uh, the big fear, the scaremongering at the moment, which I love most, is that this will empower unions. So let's just be really clear. In 1992, unions had 41% representation of employees. In 2022, they had 12.5% representing 1.4 million people. Can I just say left-handed people represent 2 million people in the workforce. That shows (laughs) you how relevant unions are gradually becoming. And it's decreasing. And it's decreasing. The only time it goes up is not where Labor governments provide it with more opportunity. It's where Liberal governments, like under Howard, introduced work choices and there was something to fight for. So there will be no increase in membership, no increase in activity. The unions have delivered their platform 20 years ago. The things they're delivering now are social platforms. Yeah. They're not workplace platforms and they're not even focusing properly on safety anymore. Oh, yeah. So their relevance is declining to CBD construction. Manufacturing is still here, which is a declining business. These people are not making money. They're living off capital because their dues are not covering their costs. So please, can we please stop the scaremongering yeah, about unions? stop this narrative. And let's get on with the facts. Now, here's the things we've got. I think one thing which is really interesting is the federal government have upped the ante on wage theft yeah. by saying intentional wage theft now has five times the penalties. Yeah, maximum $7.8 million for Yeah, or three times the amount that you knocked off. Yeah. You can see they'll only go for that where it's two to three million. And yeah. it's more than that. Ten years jail. It's serious stuff for those who sort of negligently so aware of it but aren't doing it intentionally and fail to address it. Civil penalties have gone up fourfold. Yeah. So this is a really quite significant change that has occurred. But there is, 
I think you picked it up, Nana. Yeah. There is this one upside, isn't there? Yeah, I think what's really interesting is the federal government in int- or in their attempt to introduce this have put in another mechanism where if you self-report as an employer and work with the Fair Work Ombudsman, they will not bring a prosecution for wage theft. So it opens that door for businesses to work hand-in-hand, which we've seen with the universities, yeah. and hopefully fix the systemic issues. But it's interesting because it will basically set a... I guess, knowledge that you know what it is and if it happens again, then you're definitely in trouble. That's exactly right. So that's generally what's happening. There's got, (laughs) typically with Labor who look through the lens of what unions represent, they've gone into defining what are employees, what are, and this will be all employee groups Mm -hmm. as well, what are gig workers and and what are independent contractors Mm -hmm. through the traditional norm, which is prior JAMSEC and the high court cases around this of looking at the multifactorial test to determine not what the person was employed in but what they did after they were employed, which is a complete and utter nonsense, can I just say. And gig workers will be given the right as, you know, to to actually enter into enterprise agreements. This is a sop to the union movement. It won't be taken up. There'll be one or two who takes it up, but it makes all of our life. This is the one that really does make our life harder because... Determining who is a gig worker, who is an employee, who's a contractor. Six months ago, we knew. Yeah. And now it's been put back in the bucket and spindled around again. And we don't know because we're going to have to start going back to the factual test. Yeah. I think the narrative that they've spun with this, and particularly unions, is this is going to help because employers are using the definitions to cut people out and things like that. But everyone's forgetting that before we had these definitions, there was just utter confusion. And you've looked at the legislation and the new definition and it's just going it's just back to that period. Yeah, it's, it's not providing it's clarity. It's Groundhog Day, really it is. So that, the disappointing thing that's happened, that's it. New road transport, look, this has been overdue. There's been a number of separate jurisdictions around Australia that deal with road transport. When I first started as a workplace lawyer, we were transferring employees out to independent contractors. There has been no really unified system of managing the contracts these people enter into and the fairness of them. I think it's a great idea for work are really skilled at it. It's where they have their strengths. They should be dealing with it. Labor hire, God, no surprises here. Can I just say a whole lot of this is taken out of union-based enterprise agreements. So yeah. labour hire on most sites that we have in enterprise agreements in have an equal pay yeah. equal pay clause. Here, if they look like permanent employees, smell like permanent employees, have been there for 12 months. They should months, be paid the same. Paid the same and they should be have a right to become an employee. Yeah. And that's the change. Unions get more power. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah do they? They have cool. rights rights of entry around underpayments. underpayments, which they've always had. Can I just say, they've always <laughs> had that right, so that's bullshit. The only uh, difference is the notice, which they have to apply to get an exemption, and that could take the time as well. 24 so, hours. So yeah. good luck to them on that. They have rights of uh, delegate training. In every enterprise agreement, there's delegate training. Do you know, this is just, just absolute nonsense. Anyway, it, <laughs> it's not going to increase the amount of people who want to become union members. It may increase people who want to become union delegates because they get time off. The quality of union organisers going out onto our sites at the moment using rights of entry incorrectly, it's not going to help them because they'll still do it incorrectly and dumbly and they'll still breach every rule and we'll kick them off the site. It ain't going to change. Do you know what I mean? It's a DNA issue. EA changes and the impact upon franchises. This is the multi-business things. And given the problems with 7-Eleven that led to the wage criminalisation legislation, it's not surprising this is coming in and as a method of controlling particularly immigrant labour who's working in franchises in 
multi-business deals. So I think it's a good thing. I think you'll see it also in like motor vehicle sectors and things like that where there's just, it just makes sense to uniform application of the rules. So there you go. We've done that in eight minutes. That just changed the world. (laughs) By the way, for those who don't understand, you're right, it's not law yet. Uh, But we'll help you. Hey, look, we're Flora's pushing us on. She's stopping my language. Okay, what's still in return to work compensation? This is a classic return to work, a driving to work case. Yeah, and it reinforces what we spoke about. So a this, yeah, ago. so this is a lawyer who went to one office, picked up a group of files, went home that night, and drove the next day to take the files to another office. Typical white collar stuff. Blue collar, it would be a guy goes to one site, picks up a set of tools the next day, goes home, yeah. drives the next site. That is not a journey claim. Now, journey claims... Wait, you forgot to say that on the way to the office she got injured. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I, I cut corners. You yeah. know, that, that. In ACT in Queensland, there yeah. are things called journey claims, which means this is compensable because it's a journey. Yeah, Okay. journey to or from work, from. yeah. But in every other state and jurisdiction, the issue is does it relate to work? So if Nina went to pick up files from another office we had from in a town. Client or something. Yeah, or from yeah. a client. And then came to work from the moment she picked up those files and came to that work, not from home. Yeah. She would be doing work, okay? Yeah. And that's the that's the test. It has to be connected to work, whatever you were doing. And look, that's what they found in Wasser's case. So yeah. it's a really simple case. But I got Kim to to summarize it for us because it highlights some of the problems we're having at the moment with work related vehicles and people mm-hmm. utilizing them. Once again, if they're just driving a work-related vehicle from home to work, except in the ACT in Queensland where they can make a journey yeah. claim, it is not compensable. But if as they're doing that for a particular purpose for work, so, for instance, one job is out here and they're stopping at home on the way through to the job out there. The stopping at home doesn't break the connection. doesn't break yes. the connection. Does that make sense? Okay. I hope it does because it makes sense to me. I've read it. All right. So this one I think was a bit – it's an interesting case because it essentially it involved an employee who actually thought – A wheelie bin? They, no, but he, they thought they were doing the right thing. So a disability care worker was driving three clients and when he was checking for his keys, he accidentally clipped a wheelie bin while he was driving. I think it's mine because mine's been clipped at home. <laughs> He was driving only about 25 to 30 kilometres per hour, so there was no damage to the car or the bin, and he didn't report it, but one of the clients just told his supervisor. And they investigated, and then they summarily dismissed him for serious misconduct because they said it was unsafe. As part of the investigation, he wrote a statement of the incident and apologised and said, look, I didn't think it was such a big deal, but I'm so sorry that it happened. They said, nope, it's serious misconduct. And the reason they based that on was they had dismissed someone else 100 kilometres now. For driving, asleep. yeah, falling asleep on the highway. How and they can said, they be doing serious misconduct if they're asleep? <laughs> There's got to be an intention. So they said, well, look, we've already terminated someone, someone for that. <laughs> so then in this case, it's very similar. So we have to dismiss a serious misconduct. And as you can expect, the Fair Commission said no. That's not the same. It's not equivalent at all. It's and harsh. It's harsh. Yeah, it, it was incredibly harsh. And although in their minds they're like, we can't condone the behaviour, we can't set one rule, the difference is about considering the degree of harm. And in this case, no one had gotten hurt, nothing had really happened, and it was a little bit careless as opposed to outright negligent behaviour. Yeah, okay. So let's move on. It's not a surprise, that case, no. but it's a good reminder. might be a valid reason. Yeah. But the issue is, is it harsh? And to do that, yes, to try and prevent condemnation, I can't punish that, which I've permitted before. Here we've set a precedent mm-hmm. that says we will terminate for criminal behaviour, 
but this is not criminal behaviour. It has to be an appropriate punishment to commit yeah. the crime. Yeah. Goody good. Let's go to our next one. Yeah, so this was a safety case. They were unloading a, I think it was 700 kilo. 790 kilo. Oh, yeah, yeah. so a lot. Excavator. Just the front part. Yeah. It was, the excavator would have been a bit more than that, just the front part. Oh, really? Oh, the, oh, the bucket of the excavator. The yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was loaded and was loaded on some um, concrete, concrete beams. Clip. Yeah, and it was there. obviously perched precariously. Yeah. Guy starts untethering one of the things on it. Supervisors say, watch out, don't do that. And the whole thing collapsed. The whole thing collapsed, killing a labourer. And mm-hmm. the, the question is raised is, well, what was reasonably practical? And the fact is, just looking at it, you could see that it was unbalanced. Yeah. And the employer tried to say, look, we had a swim, so that should have been enough. And I had a supervisor there and I warned them to be careful, so it shouldn't be our responsibility. We did everything reasonably practical yeah. and they got hit. Because the, the swims failed to acknowledge the dangerous. The of unstable load. <laughs> yeah. So, look, I think for this raises an issue which Nina and I have talked about probably too often, which is using template swims. But the idea when you do a swim is you take a look at what you're about to do and you determine the actions from the beginning to an end. That's why swims are such a beautiful safety tool because they mm. ask you to consider what task. So before I detach something, should I have something underneath it holding for a crane? Yeah. That would be one of the first questions you'd ask. Yeah. And the question would be, is this a stable load? And if the answer is I have any concerns at all, yes, I must attach it and hold it before I untether it. That wasn't in the swims. So the lesson to take out of this case is to remind people swims don't sit on your iPad or no. they're not a hard document. They're something you create by going out. And, and they should be pre-filled before you come. No, they should. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that's that case. Let's jump on. All right, well, this is a funny topic, this one. We've, we've received a funny it. topic. Well, it's a funny topic. It's, it's the first orders that have come out in their consent orders in the Stop Sexual Harassment Jurisdiction of the Fair Work Commission, which mirror the Stop Bullying provisions. Yeah. The reason we're talking about it is, A, it is the first one, and it really does show you how the definitions of what are an aggrieved employee and what is a respondent are so broad. Yeah. This is, a for those who don't understand about child cases, child cases, courts never publish the names. They de-identify even the employer. Anything in law can identify the person, even the actions that have occurred. So for those who are fearful about children's case and what we're about to disclose, don't be scared. This is about an employer who had four children aged people working. We don't know the ages because that's not disclosed. Yeah. What we do know is it involved in respect of the applicant whose mother supported her, claim, yeah. a video that was in the course of being published and that that video and the actions that pertain to that video were agreed to be forms of sexual harassment. And there was clearly more to it because the consent orders went between both the applicant and the respondent about the behaviours that would exist. None of that's particularly important, can I just say. What it shows is that this jurisdiction will be used when it shouldn't be used for a start. This should have been a Justice Act application to the police because that would have immediately stopped publication of the video. The police could have seized the video. There's a whole lot of actions that could have happened if this went through the basic criminal yeah. process. But people don't know about those actions. No, they don't. What they do know is about a fashionable jurisdiction that exists in the Fair Work Commission. Yeah. Okay. So that's the first thing. The second thing is... What is an employee is defined under the WHS Act. Even in Victoria, for this purpose of this legislation, it's not our act that defines employee, it is that act, which means it can be an employee, it can be a contractor, it can be a student on placement, it can be a volunteer, okay? Yeah. Now, for our schools group, this is, and we have a large number of schools we have for 
This is actually a lot more scary than you may think. So let me use an example of an outward bound course where we have two student leaders who are leading like the teachers there, but the two student leaders are volunteering to lead. And during the course of that time, remember, sexual harassment doesn't have to be a continuous act. It can be an act, a one act. Yeah. And by doing that, there can be a concern that it could be ongoing in the future. Mm -hmm. So you would have the jurisdiction that would apply. Mm -hmm. At that stage, that student becomes an employee. Or if the student is on workplace experience, okay, because that's specifically dealt with, then both the school and the employer could be named in this. Yeah. Also, the definition permits in relation to the respondent for an agent of the employer, and an agent of the employer could be so somebody forward. like Slack. Yeah. It could be something like Teams. It could be something like Zoom who permit a capture or recording of something and allow the public... Or a, a social media. Or a social media if it's utilised by the school. In other words, yeah. if there's a school engaged because it is an agent of the school, which means these orders could be much broader. And that's a really interesting thing to see because what we know about the social media sites is they fight fiercely not to be involved in yeah, any form of litigation. True. So we are going to see more video-based and more photo-based sexual harassment. We're already seeing the constant use of pictures being sent, particularly by men to women, which are highly inappropriate. So the people who publish those things may form part of an order. So I think you should expand on what orders were actually made because that's really interesting as well and it shows the depth and the intrusive nature. Of, yeah, I mean, the first part is the Fair, Commission can make. the Fair Work Commission made a confidentiality order immediately when it took possession of the matter, quite properly so. So it has that power to actually stop and, and not permit the publishing of anything by any person who is involved or any person externally. So it's a suppression order as well. Yeah, and it's an ongoing one too. It's not just confined to while they're employed or anything. My understanding is it's just an ongoing yeah, order and the consent orders publish this video. Yeah, and the consent orders required the destruction of the video, the not copying of it. It then said the not talking about it to yeah. each other. And, and to from, other people, from the applicant yeah. it also said not having a go at them about the video. Yeah. So it was clearly dealing with children. But I want you to understand children, adults aren't that different in this area. No. The behaviours that we're seeing orders being made and imposed by consent, they, they would have been made but for the consent, are the very sort of orders you constantly see in sexual harassment matters. Yeah. But will it be used a lot in the future like bullying? No, it won't be. This has been going a while and this is our first set of orders. We've had one which was disposed of because Part of it is if the Fair Work Commissioner doesn't believe it's sexual harassment, they will not issue a certificate yeah. in relation. So that's happened once before. But what I want you to understand is don't be too scared about it. No. This is one that should never have been there and it doesn't do anything if you stop the capacity for that to occur. So if a school has a student in our place and receives a complaint, brings the student back, the capacity for further sexual harassment so long as they put barriers between the employee mm -hmm. and the workplace making sure that they don't send videos or do that, school safe. Yeah, I think we'll see much more of people utilising the federal court jurisdiction for sexual harassment claims instead yeah. because they're going to get much more they're get damages. You can't get damages in the subsection. Uh, unless, yeah, unless you get a consent arbitration, then you can. Yeah, but no one's who's going to Who's going to let a Fair Work Commission yeah. arbitrate something? No. <laughs> did I say that out loud? I did, didn't I? You wouldn't, <laughs> would you? Okay, so let's um, <laughs> let's move on to the case study because I'm in a lot of trouble now. I think so. Yeah. 
Dwayne really liked Jess. She was the new accounts clerk and Dwayne was head of sales. He was on the executive. There's no doubt he was a bit of a spiv. <laughs> Dwayne and Jess worked for Big Tech, Proprietary Limited, a successful startup, now scale up, that helped new startups use a simple digital platform for their first app. Dwayne was great at selling in fintech circles and was highly regarded. Big Tech had approximately 250 employees. It was now on its third capital raising, had received a substantial injection from Ferdinand Envy, a renowned venture capitalist, and there was talk of a takeover from a large US-based Silicon Valley mega company. Big Tech had an online competency-based induction process, including around sexual harassment. The regular computer startup screens required employees to answer questions on harassment and discrimination before the laptops would open for work. And Dwayne had recently completed the annual online competency-based discrimination and harassment course. It didn't allow you to pass a question until you got it right. Dwayne had spoken to Jess on her second day. He said, hi, a little overdressed for geeks, aren't you? Laughing, she laughed back. He subsequently sent her an email saying how good it was to have her on board. She replied, thanks. Dwayne made a habit of dropping by each day and speaking to her. He had not done this before. She found it a little awkward but was always polite. Two weeks passed. He came in on Friday afternoon and asked if she would like to come out with the sales team for drinks. He said they would love to have her come along. She felt very lucky, so she said yes. When she arrived at the bar, only three of the sales team were there, all men that were Dwayne's age, over 40, and she was 23. It was obvious the other two did not expect her. Dwayne was kind. She had one drink and then made her excuses and left. Later that night, Dwayne sent through photos of the three of them, obviously drunk, saying how much they missed her. She sent back a smile emoji but felt awkward. Things got worse. When he slipped in early Monday morning after the big Friday night out, he said his wife had just recently left him and he was very thankful for her friendship. He asked if she had time for coffee. She reluctantly agreed as he seemed so distressed. When they had coffee, he explained that his wife had cheated on him. He held her hand, said they had a sexless relationship and he felt burned and alone. When she got back to work, she spoke with HR and explained what had happened. HR asked if she wanted to make a complaint. She said she didn't but wanted it to stop. Brioni... Brian, Brian, Bryony from HR said she would talk to him. Jess asked her to be gentle as he only recently broken up with his wife. Bryony spoke with Dwayne. He cried and said he knew he was under so much stress and Jess had been kind. Later that night, he sent an email to Jess saying, thank you, I've spoken to Bryony. I have to get myself together. You've been wonderful and are the best person I know. Sorry to burden you. She said, it's okay, have a good night. Dwayne took that as an invitation and started sending messages by messenger <laughs> so it wasn't work and made comments on her Facebook photos about how beautiful she was. She spoke to her brother the next morning who helped her prepare a stop sex harassment dispute under the Fair Work Act. The person's name were Big Tech and Dwayne. All right. Oh, God. <laughs> Can Big Tech argue under 5272B? It's actually 1B. I got that wrong. Sorry. It's 1B. 2B is slightly different. It had taken reasonable steps to prevent Dwayne from sexually harassing Jess because of the competency-based education. Now, can I just say to you, whenever I go to a site, I always do the inductions, and I love the inductions where you can't go on until you get it right. So I deliberately start with the wrong until I eventually get to the last one, which is right, and then they always allow me on site even though I'm clearly incompetent. So this is not a competency-based method of testing. he clearly was not competent because... (laughs) I, I don't care if you like. It's so easy to game that system. That's mm. the point. And the fact that he kept continuing this all this behaviour meant he wasn't competent. Yeah, part of the, the risk of virtual workers, we think we can get away with this. And probably about five or six years ago, most large companies started doing online compliance work. Can I just say it's a nonsense to teach people? You actually have to have 
the neuropsychology will link with the person sitting in the room. You test their competency in front of them. They've got a time in which to do it. You, they go back and look at their answer then, and then you retrain them so they understand it. That's competency-based training. Competency-based training is not getting 80 in a hall. It's not themes with Zoom. It is actually competency-based training. So, no. But they even without that, they haven't taken all reasonable steps. No, no. They like all they did was talk to him a little bit. They haven't sought to remove it. They haven't given him. Oh no, no. Just and look, yeah. It. And look, can I just say this is? I think I'm going to talk about later anyway. But I'll say it now. The moment this is raised, it creates a safety and an harassment yeah. issue, both of which you have positive duties around, and therefore you can't merely just say, oh, "Be gentle with him." Yeah. The answer is he's clearly done a wrong. The evidence yeah. shows he's doing a wrong. At that stage, when we look at hazard, okay, we've got the hazard. The risk is really high. Therefore, when we go to the hierarchy control, there has to be an elimination strategy. Yeah. That doesn't mean termination, but it means That's separation. Something. Yeah. yeah, something so, in there, like, gosh. So the answer is no, they are vicariously liable yeah. and in big strife. Two, you can just proceed to the federal court of state jurisdiction to claim compensation. If so, what compensation would she receive? Yeah, she can. Yeah. She can apply directly to the federal court. She doesn't or have gain to go a certificate and, and, and go yeah. off to the federal court. But the, the issue here is... This is not a small claim. No, she'd get general damages and economic loss. Yeah, so if she can demonstrate that she suffered a psycholo- psychological harm and she's unable to work. She probably did. It was so creepy. Yeah, that's just, I know. It's one of my textbook creepies, that one. But I, I reckon the generals are probably between 75 to 100 for that. And, I, you know, you might get it lower on a bad day, but you'd be right up there. I think you'd get more now. Yeah, special damages, well, you know, the special damage would depend on how sick, how damaged she was as to what loss of earning capacity she's got. But there'd be aggravated damages because the poor method of Um, of remedial work that had been done as well. And both Dwayne and Big Tech would cop it. Yeah, because she'd get the stuff against him and also the vicarious liability as well. Yeah. Okay, number three. Was the complaint we've talked here? There's definitely the moment someone raises a safety breach, or a harassment breach. There is no such thing as a formal complaint. Yeah, you don't can have you, to have a formal written complaint. Can you just remember that the moment you're aware of something, which is a breach of legislation, it doesn't matter if they won't put it in writing. Mm. It's a complaint and you've got to act it. Because you're aware of it. Even when they're like, oh, I don't want to do anything about it, you have that obligation to investigate. Yeah, and you've got to wrap your arms around that person and make sure they feel safe, but they don't get to control what happens next. Yeah. Okay. Has there been a breach of safety law, and if so, by who? What breach and what punishment? If Jess suffered a fatal accident leaving work as a result of Dwayne's action, would that change anything? Yeah, so Dwayne's definitely breached his employee duties towards her. And I just say, can we just stop with him? So it's definitely primary duty breach. Yeah. But he also does have knowledge of the seriousness of that breach. And that she felt uncomfortable. Yeah, so he's got... Reckless engagement. Yeah, he's got the past training to know that what he's doing is wrong. Okay, so he definitely knows what he's doing. He's been told what he's doing is wrong. And then he ramps it up and he's been told that it's affecting her. So he is aware of a serious risk and he's indifferent to it. Worse than that, he's provoked it. So he's on his pathway for reckless endangerment because he is the face of the organisation and determination of liability and because of Briony's inaction then I think they're both up for reckless endangerment. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And he could. I don't think he could into industrial medicine. No. But the company could. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they'd both probably miss out on it. They just There's not quite the gravity yet because there's not the knowledge of the serious illness part of it. But if there was a knowledge of the serious illness part of it and he continued to do it and they failed to act upon it, well, then I think you're really I don't know. They've got evidence she's been quite distressed about it. She's told HR not, about everything. Yeah, not enough for I am, I don't think. But anyway, look, really interesting. 
does Jess have a good workers' compensation and common law claim? Yes. Yeah. Can I just say to you, we, we've now explained claims, sexual harassment claim worth a minimum of about 150 but could be a lot more based on ability to return to work. We've talked about safety penalties, which are very significant. Yeah. And now we're talking about workers' comp, which would be accepted, but then the common law claim would actually have the same types of damages of sexual harassment, just larger and easier to access. And you've got the hit on your premium, the yeah. workers' compensation, which would be more than all of that put together. And all of these can apply at the same time. Yeah, there you go. How does that sound? <laughs> all right. Well, look, next week we're going to start on closing the loop in, in an un- We're not going to be chicken little. We're not going to say the sky's falling. We'll just show you, walk you through slowly what's going to happen. that reference. <laughs> <laughs> I've been using about lawyers for a long time. Don't worry. <laughs> anyway, guys. Give us a thumbs up. Thumbs up. We need more thumbs up. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye.